Hi everyone and welcome to the Sanya Faruqi show. Joining us today we have a journalist from New Delhi, Neha Dikshit. She covers politics, gender and social justice in South Asia. She has worked with multiple mediums and reported for Al Jazeera, The Washington Post, Caravan, The Wire and others. She has won over a dozen international and national journalism awards including International Press Freedom Award 2019. Kurt Schock Award in International Journalism in 2014, the Lorenzo Natali Prize for Journalism from the European Commission in 2011, Chameli Devi Jain Award for Outstanding Woman Journalist in 2016, and many others. She's a contributor to the UNESCO Casebook of Investigative Journalism in 2011, Zuban Anthology on Sexual Violence in South Asia, and firsthand. graphic non-fiction in India and others. Neha, thank you so much for joining us. It is truly wonderful to have you on the Sanya Faruqi show today. Thank you so much, Sanya. Thank you for giving me this chance to talk to you. Yeah, look forward to our conversation. So Neha, tell us a little about your journey as a journalist and you know, how has journalism, the media space in India changed over the years? Uh, this is my 15th year in journalism. So that way there has been, one has been witness to the transition that it has made in the last few years for me particularly i i uh, was not familiar with journalism or media per se because the the environment that i grew up in and the family uh, that i grew up in nobody knew much about it uh, it was good so because i i grew up in lucknow and i came to delhi i was a student of delhi university and then later uh, a student of jamia university it was helpful for me to understand the context within which things happen so for me particularly that was helpful in my in making my foray into investigative journalism because i very soon enough realized that this was also the time so this was around 2006 when i started uh, i entered journalism and i understood that this was the time when tv was picking up and uh, uh, this was also a time that started defining journalists or reporters only with ones who have a mic in their hand so it was difficult to actually break into that space and do some story that gets some kind of visibility and the story has some impact on the ground so for me it was helpful uh, to make my foray into investigative journalism because i understood that if there is any scope for any nuance or to go in depth into any issue uh it's it's uh, helpful to practice my journalism that way uh it's been interesting i have lived through times where i remember that in uh, in our newsrooms we were told that if there is a legal notice against you think of it as a badge of honor because that means that somebody has taken cognizance of your story and we have moved to a time where legal notices have uh, changed to criminal cases uh draconian law and order related cases against journalists so that's how it has changed so uh there was a government earlier and no government is ever happy with the journalists doing their job honestly because journalism essentially is anti establishment so no government is happy with with the honest journalists but i have seen how it has become more vindictive and more dangerous for not just me but for any practitioner of journalism currently in majority in india uh, 
and you've been an independent journalist for a long time now how easy or difficult has this space been for you you cover politics health social justice issues gender issues so tell us a little about your work and a few of the stories that you've worked on uh so uh, sandhya i think uh like i said there in the last 15 years there has been a lot of transition in, in the way news organizations function so to to summarize quickly one is that uh there is a lot of corporate political nexus within the mainstream media now so it's not just corporate media wanting to do certain kinds of news reports targeted at certain audience so that which is essentially urban rich or urban middle class population but apart from that we've also now witnessing a time where there is a lot of corporate political nexus in this media so political agendas are also deciding what actually makes it to the front uh, uh page or what makes it to prime time so the, so for me independent journalism was my way of subverting this kind of self censorship that now exists within newsrooms because there was a time when i realized that a lot of uh, stories were getting killed uh within the newsrooms there was a lot of self censorship uh i re particularly remember a time i was working with the television news channel and the marketing team came and told us that from now on our target audience is the urban rich so stop doing these farmer suicides back of the beyond bleeding heart stories and maybe do investigations on who are the rich kids racing fast cars in south delhi so that was a defining moment for me and that's why i switched to independent journalism i do want to say that independent journalism also uh, is is uh, has become a very privileged thing now because it does not particularly support the kind of work you do there are not enough resources our systems with the news organizations are such that they are not very helpful towards freelancers so for example you do not have health insurance if you have a legal case against you then the news organization does not support you i have three against me and i am funding that so anybody who has any kind of uh, uh, financial uh, dependency of other people on them they are i think don't think they they it's very helpful for them but for me well, how independent journalism helped was that if one news organize if i pitch a story investigative story to one news organization and they don't publish it then i withdraw and give it to the second and then the second doesn't then i give it to the third so the story eventually comes out it doesn't get killed last few years uh, some of the investigations that i have done is uh, one of the prominent ones is how uh, the rss the hindu fundamentalist uh, groups in in northeast india are trafficking children between the uh, age group of 3 to 11 and taking them to other parts of india for the purpose of indoctrination in political hinduism which we call which we call hindutva so i traced a one particular case where 31 girls between the age group of 3 to 11 were taken from five districts of assam and taken to punjab and gujarat the story was waterproof because the parents also they were told that the girls will be given free lodging and free education but once the girls were taken away the the parents just couldn't trace them many government bodies statutory bodies wrote to rss saying that this is actually child trafficking and uh, violating number of international laws and indian laws but despite that they paid no heed and the girls were not sent back so i traced 11 girls in patiala and 20 girls in surendranagar district of gujarat 
where I uh, found out that how they were not even in a formal system of education. They were doing bhajan classes, sanskar classes and stuff. So this story was corroborated from three various sources, not from the government documentation, from the parents and actually finding those girls. So that earned me to two criminal cases. <laughs> One is in, uh, both the cases are in Guwahati and it's they have been on for the last six years. Uh, the other stories that I can mention from the recent past is uh, another investigation that I had done for The Wire. And that was, uh, again, how the UP government is touting uh, police encounters, police shootouts as their achievement. And as we speak, uh, the UP police has conducted 6,000 police shootouts in which uh, almost uh, close to 200 people have lost their lives. So I found out that how most of the, these people who were killed were uh, either between the age group of 17 to 40, all of them either Muslim men, uh, OBC men or Dalit men from extremely impoverished socioeconomic background. And uh, I also found out that how what the police claims is a chance encounter is not really uh, uh, within the moment or spontaneous but how it was planned because when one found out the dead body pictures of these people, their eyes were gouged out, their skull was broken, which clearly indicated that how they were beaten they were up and yeah. caught hold of before they were shot dead. So that is another one. Uh, so yeah, these are the two major ones and then there are more. And you face a lot of backlash and a lot of harassment once whenever you have published any story, whether it is online or offline. And recently there were reports of an unidentified person who attempted to break into your apartment. You've been stopped. You've received death threats and all sorts of abuses. You, Like you mentioned, you also have criminal cases filed against you. Why do you think you're being targeted? And how, since when has this sort of targeting towards the kind of work that you do started like has it been in the last seven years or did this happen you know earlier like you said you've been a journalist for almost 15 years did you ever face this kind of harassment and abuse earlier for your stories or is it just in the recent years that you're seeing you know the online and offline abuse and threats that have been coming your way Sadia, I look at it in three parts. One is that, yes, like, for example, in 2008, I had done this large investigation on Kaap Panchayats. And this was a time when there was not much conversation about Kaaps. And how I found out that there were a number of honor killings because of certain Kaap Panchayat diktats. So that was the time when internet was just picking up. So I do know that there were, I've seen lots of forums where there were these conversations about people saying, oh, she, she, she should be beaten black and blue and da, da, da. But that was 2008. How it has changed in the last few years, particularly from 2013, I would say, just before the previous general elections, is I started receiving this kind of backlash on internet was because I had reported on the Muzaffar Nagar riots, yeah. which was sectarian violence. But uh, now, because it's been so many years of online trolling and da-da-da, earlier we were all caught up in like individual cases. But I do now, when I put it all together, experiences of me and many other people, I, I just see that this is very systemic. So all, all this while we were talking about individuals being attacked, but actually it is systemic, which is, uh, which is promoted by the uh, troll army of the political party in power. And also 
by the uh, by the by the practitioners of the current political ideology who enjoy impunity so which is why they can attack as far as physical attack is concerned yes there was uh, uh, there was talking for five months where somebody was actually uh, there were some four four five different voices two three hundred phone numbers most of most of them were internet phone numbers so i used to keep blocking but there was no possible way of not no of knowing that this is the that. same person yeah. and so each time i would be in the market or at the gym or in the balcony i would get a call saying oh you are standing here we will come and throw acid at you or oh, you you buying sabzis in the market or oh, we are going to uh, uh, gang rape you right then and there or oh, your husband has just left we are going to enter the house and attack you again and uh, bringing my profession uh, clearly into the conversation that bahut reporter banti ho bahut encounter by story career so stuff like that so i because sanya it's been like so many years one the way to deal for me particularly is that i just keep blocking it out because if i understood that engaging with this uh, scale of a backlash also stops me from doing my work so either i can do my work or i can keep following up on all whatever is happening so but on 25th january somebody had called in the morning saying they'll enter the house and throw acid and at, at night the, somebody did try to break in but when i uh, shouted and stuff the person was gone i do want to say that this is not unique to me and i do want to say that an extremely privileged person living in delhi writing in english for international publications and having some degree of access which most journalists uh, do not have so for example like the uh, kishore uh, vangcham who uh, kishore chand vangcham in manipur who was arrested several times over siddiq kapan who's already in jail for so many for almost over a year now yeah. similarly for uh, asif sultan for 1000 uh, days i think today is like 1000 days so i think it is more systemic yeah. and i do feel now increasingly and very strongly that the conversation on press freedom has to move beyond our individual experiences and we have to start talking about strengthening the democratic structures that can actually protect press freedom what often happens in the in the narrative about press freedom and particularly the western narrative about press freedom in india is that we get caught up in individual trauma stories and i am not saying that we should not talk about it but i am saying that that is not the only thing that we should be talking about um reporters without borders in its press freedom index ranked india 142 among 180 countries and said india is a dangerous country for journalists was it always this case was india always a dangerous country for journalists what has changed now to to put it shortly what has changed now is that our democratic structures have weakened so much that the same constitution or the same democratic uh, uh, system that should have protected press freedom is not there it doesn't exist so what has happened is that it's not like earlier journalists were not attacked there are several cases of journalists being killed attacked uh, still dealing with criminal cases but the the rise exponential rise in the violence against journalists the exponential rise of criminal cases law and order related cases against journalists where you can even be arrested for a social media post where you can even be arrested for for example pavan jaiswal who did a story from mirzapur on how children are being given 
protein salt in midday meal and even for that you can get a criminal conspiracy case against you i think the the systemic change of where a prime minister who does not hold a press conference for 7 years where cabinet ministers dismiss journalists by calling them prostitutes i think an impunity an environment of impunity has been created for people who uh, who are upset with the journalists doing their jobs so i think what has changed is is the systemic attack against journalists and the government having no interest in protecting press freedom yeah um you know like you mentioned many journalists regularly get notices sent over their homes are raided by the police a few have been arrested for just covering a story there are few who are being investigated and have criminal cases against them we've seen the recent report on surveillance and pegasus why is it so difficult to do journalism these days and is this the case for all journalists or is there a type or a kind of journalist that the government is going after right now uh i think we are living in in a time where uh any journalism is uh is anti national that kind of real political, journalism yeah Not yeah any real yeah. journalism is anti yeah. i guess the other one i'm not even counting is journalism <laughs> so any anything that you do which is fair to your profession and which you which which anybody should be doing if you're honest to your profession is has been labeled with things like anti nationalism so if you look at the propaganda model of chomsky or whatever in any dictatorial regimes anything that is that is used you create a common enemy so right now the common enemy that has been created is anybody who questions the government so and then there is the this is also a time like i said where there is a corporate political nexus where if you toe the line of the government you not just benefit in terms of access to sources you do not just benefit in terms of enjoying the patronage of the government or getting exclusive interviews with the prime minister who doesn't otherwise uh, but it's also a time where you make money because the, the same corporate groups who align with the government are happy sponsoring you happy investing and all of that so i think uh, uh this is a time where 90% 95% of the of the so called mainstream media has actually towed the line of the government and is part of this propaganda model that exists right now in this country and it's that 5% which is on the margins and working with less resources and is being targeted i always say that this is also a time where the news organizations that have money and resources are not practicing journalism and the ones who are practicing journalism who do not have the money or the resources to actually go ahead and do more yeah coming back to the work that you've been doing tell us a little about how easy or difficult has it been for you as a journalist who under constant threats and attacks just to be able to do your job are you worried about your safety are you worried or scared when you step out when you're reporting when you're out there to cover a story are you worried that you may get attacked you may get kidnapped you may like the kind of threats that you've received be thrown acid on you and the rape threats and the death threats does that worry you and how do you cope with it it's a i don't even know how to answer this question any longer it's um uh, uh Okay 
I think uh, it, I think what worries me more than my own well-being is the well-being of the people associated with me. So, for example, when I did the UP police encounter story, and I also did one other investigation on how some 150 people were charged with National Security Act, and again, a lot of them were uh, from the marginalized communities in, in UP. And I remember receiving a call from the top cop in UP saying that, uh, till when are you going to keep doing these stories? We know where your mother lives. So, so that is the kind of thing that really scares me now. As far as my well-being is concerned, of course, uh, for example, like what happened recently is, uh, like I just told you, that for five months, when somebody is constantly identifying your uh, uh, location, it does take a lot of effort to walk on the road and think that the next person walking next to you with a bottle in their hand are not about to throw acid on you. So it does take a lot of effort to not keep thinking about it and to continue functioning and continue doing your daily work and whatever, and also not let self-censorship set in. Yeah. But what has also helped me is that I've had uh, thankfully, a lot of support from uh, people around me in the sense that, for example, my personal uh, network, my friends, or some fellow journalists, or some senior women journalists who have actually stepped in. So there is no institutional mechanism to 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 help yourself. Yeah. So which is why one has to create informal networks to keep. Uh, uh, getting support and I've what one thing that I've also learned which did not naturally come to me earlier is that now I also ask for help earlier I would never ask for help and keep taking it on but yeah. now I have learned to ask for help and when I can't function I tell people I can't function any longer so I think that has to, to slow down sometimes has really helped me yeah well more power to you Neha you you are definitely um, you know somebody who's very brave and, and the kind of uh, things that have happened and, and events that have taken place. So it's all I can say is more power to you. Um, my last two very quick questions to you because we're running out of time. Do you think you get attacked more because of your gender? Has that ever come in the way? And my last question would be, what would your advice be for independent journalists living and working in India today? So for, for this, I, I want to say that yes, uh, gender definitely plays a role because each time when a when a, a woman journalist is uh, attacked, uh, they, people start saying, oh, you slept with somebody, or you are a whore, or you are a sex worker, or you are this, or you're that. But when a man is attacked, they say, oh, this person is paid. So I think that that, that distinction, and it, it actually I'm now very amused by it because uh, I'm like, okay, I, I, I can also be corrupt and just get the bribe and do wrong yeah. stuff. But and I don't know how sleeping with somebody is going to make you do a certain kind of story. That is also beyond me now. Uh, sometimes I also, it's like, it's very amusing now because I remember somebody writing to me, oh, she's a, uh, she's the wife of a Lashkare Toiba leader. And I was like, why am I not the leader? But why am I the wife? So... <laughs> So even here, I mean, denied agency. So yes, it is that. And also in the offline uh, world, like, for example, I've often thought about where I've been in uh, hostage 
type situations. For example, this RSS story that I was telling you about. And just the fact that somebody can come and tear off my clothes. They don't have to slap me. They don't have to beat me up. But just that. So yes, there is a lot of uh, uh, risk that way. But having said that, I would also say, Sanya, that but this is also big, but this is also a time where journalists, regardless of their gender, in some way, if they are dissenting and if they are showing the mirror to the government, they are getting attacked, they are getting jailed, and they are uh, facing lots of threats. What would your advice be for independent journalists living and working in India today? Uh, <laughs> uh, my advice for this is that two things. One is that uh, don't think that the stories that you will do will run the house. So keep. So please do something also to to uh, to uh, support your journalism in terms of resources. Because independent, especially this, this is the time when independent journalists are facing a lot of legal threats, are facing a lot of attacks. So, and uh, because the system is such that it does not support uh, uh, independent journalists, if, whether you require legal for your legal expenses, for your health expenses, I think so. That is very important. But having said that, uh, I have work-wise, I have never felt better. So I do feel that there is a lot of satisfaction working as an independent journalist. So that I wouldn't trade off for anything. So everybody who's interested should keep doing their work, but don't think that uh, not having any padding is not important. On that note, Neha, thank you so much. I can only say more power to you and thank you for the amazing work that you're doing. And um, you're a very brave, courageous journalist and, uh, you know, we all look forward to seeing your work. Stay safe and stay in touch. And thank you again so much for coming on the Sanya Parvati Show today. Thank you so much, Sanya. Right. Love talking to you. Likewise. And for those of you who've joined us, thank you so much for watching. I hope you will subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Spotify. And don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter as well to stay in touch and updated on everything that's coming up next on the Sanya Faruqi Show. I'm going to see you again next week.